Welcome to the Melinda Eitzen Show. I'm Melinda. Today, we are blessed to have Marianne Howland, one of my partners at Duffy and Eitzen. I'm so glad to have her here, and we're going to talk about one of the populations we serve, which is the LGBTQ community. And Marianne does this both in, in education law, so helping students and families. I say against the schools. She'd probably say working with the schools. <laughs> and she also does divorce work like I do. Welcome, Marianne. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, we're glad to have you here. So tell us, how does it, the LGBTQ community get served in the education realm? So what we have learned in ways to help this population is that there are some specific protections for the LGBTQ students um, that also protect other students as well. But one of them is Title IX, and a lot of parents don't know about that. So that's one of the things that we help parents with is understanding that and then getting the relief that they need for their kiddos. So tell, give us an example of how what a child would need and how Title IX might help them. So if a child is being bullied because of their LGBTQ status, then Title IX does protect them because it, you can't discriminate against a person on the basis of gender or gender orientation or gender identity. So Title IX kind of encompasses all of that. So if a child's being bullied because of those things, that's different from just general bullying, and we can help the parents bring that to the school's attention and even have a Title IX investigation. So that really gives them kind of an added layer of protection. And bullying's a problem for all communities, right? Yes, it is. And so, and, and that's one of the things that I can help with as well is let's open a bullying investigation. Let's get some safety measures in place while that investigation's going on. And so I can help parents and students have some protection against any kind of bullying. Are the schools pretty proactive and understanding or what's been your experience? I would say most schools understand about Title IX and every district has to have a Title IX coordinator. So there is someone specifically for that. But some schools don't understand the far-reaching ability of Title IX, that it's not just about gender it's also about gender identity and gender um, sexual orientation. So it's a mixed bag with that. And sometimes we do have to educate the schools a little bit as well. That's why the lawyers have to get involved, mm -hmm. right? Because maybe they need the lawyer at the school to help educate the school. Exactly. Because typically the school's attorney knows about it and can help guide the school. But, you know, until someone brings it to the school's attention, sometimes it just doesn't get done. Yeah, and everybody needs a little education sometimes. That's right. Okay, so let's say the kid's getting bullied because he or she identifies with the opposite gender of their birth. Mm -hmm. Then what do, what do they do about it? If you once you educate the school, what's the remedy? So when when that's happening, we do want a bullying investigation opened. We will get some safety measures. For example, like the bully has to sign a stay away agreement or something like that. And then we also want a Title IX investigation as well because we need to understand, is the school protecting these children the way they're supposed to? And if not, do we need some training for the school mm -hmm. or something like mm -hmm. that? So we start asking for those remedies that go along with the investigation. So I see. That's great. <clears throat> um, School boards, they're just human beings, and <laughs> yes. humans are flawed. Let me start out by saying humans are flawed, and we all, you know, make mistakes. And I'm sure that's true of some school boards. Are there times when they put something in place that is conflicting with the law, 
about the LGBTQ youth. Yes. And so what's important to understand is that school boards really don't have a lot of power as far as what the curriculum is or books and things like that. What they do is they control the budget. Um, and so that does give them some power. And one of the things that some school boards have done is passed these bathroom laws where a child who identifies with a certain sex that they weren't born with may want to use the bathroom of the sex that they identify with and now these school boards have passed those laws so what i would tell parents is if those laws exist in your community and in your um school board policies we do have to follow those laws even though they conflict with title nine so because the local policy kind of controls we have to follow those laws but then i do have some tips and tricks for parents on how to deal with that as well so Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. So give us a tip or a trip. So talk to your school staff. Every school staff I've ever really dealt with wants to protect kids. And they really are just there because they care about kids. So talk to them. See if you can come up with an alternative. Like, can my kiddo use the nurse's bathroom or the school staff bathroom so that they're not in a situation where they're using a bathroom that's opposite of the gender that they identify with. So that's a good oh, tip. Oh, that's a great tip. A little workaround. Yes. Yeah. So I've seen controversy in the news about sports. Yes. So the kids who identify as opposite of their birth, and typically the complaint is um, a boy is, he's born a boy. He now identifies as a girl, but he wants to have sports against girls. Mm -hmm. And then the controversy is, well, wait a minute, you know, the muscle that you have as a boy Makes, gives you a big advantage. Mm -hmm. Have you in, run into that in your practice? So, um, unfortunately, that's not, that's kind of a settled issue here in Texas. In 2021, the Texas legislature passed a ban for transgender kiddos to participate in, in collegiate or UIL sports opposite of the gender that they were born. So, that's been settled. Um, the T Department of Justice has brought a few lawsuits against on behalf of these transgender students because, and I will say as a parent and other to other parents out there, it is so important for our kids to be able to participate in team sports. Like that is an invaluable experience for kids, particularly these poor trans kids who are already other in a lot of ways. And so there have been some lawsuits that have addressed that. <clears throat> it's not really a constitutional law, but Texas, has, that law has not been overturned. So as of now, it stands that transgender kids cannot participate in teams with the gender that they identify with. So I, a lot of parents don't agree with it, but that's what it is right now. So It's an awkward situation because you see the point of, I think there was like a famous story about some swimmer and She'd been training for the Olympics forever, and then the trans guy who's now a girl, you know, comes and beats her. Mm -hmm. So I'm, you know, I see, I can see that side of it. But on the other side, most people are not Olympic level, mm -hmm. right? And most people, it's not going to be live or die if we win or lose. Mm -hmm. And to your point, we, the reason we do sports is for many other reasons than winning. Right. True. Correct. I mean, I don't think any, as a parent, most of us do not think our children are Olympic bound. And so, um, so I do think it's more about what we can do and serve our children um, and give them these experiences that will stay with them throughout their lives and, and teach them lessons that we want them to learn. And so I think that's the difficult part of it. Because mm -hmm. like you said, most of these kiddos are not 
superstar athletes in any way. So. Yeah, that's not really the issue. It just becomes the famous story, and then that's what people think right. the issue is. So anything else we should talk about in the education realm of LGBTQ, or should we switch to the family law realm? Um, I would just, I want to say that um, people may not have a clear idea about what is bullying and what is harassment, but it is defined by the Texas Education Code, and really, ultimately, it can be on campus or off campus, and if it's any kind of behavior or action that interferes with your kiddo's ability to receive their education in a safe environment, that really can fall in that definition. So I want people to be aware of that. And the other thing I would say is parents of LGBTQ youth may run into situations where the school staff is saying, well, your, your kiddo brought some of this bullying on themselves or they, they defended themselves and so they're just as culpable. And I just wanna tell parents that that's not accurate and to not fall for that and to insist on a bullying investigation and a Title IX investigation when these things happen and to just stand by your kiddo because being under the LGBTQ umbrella does not mean that you have to suffer bullying. And now, you know, when we were growing up, most bullying had to happen in person because there wasn't the ability to get on Facebook or whatever the kids are using now, right. you know, and say horrible things. And, and really, that's a, the virtual world is a big world for kids. It is. And, and you, it's hard as a parent because you can say, I'm not going to let my kid participate in that, but then they don't get the same interaction with their peers that other kids are. And so it's, it's, you want to monitor it and how do you do that? And bullying can happen. And so we have to be cognizant of all the avenues that your kid can be bullied. And we do have tricks and tips on how to help you with that, but you got to know about it first, right? What would you tell the public for the kids who are in school, they're not the LGBTQ kid, but they go to school with one. Mm -hmm. What can they do to do the opposite of bullying, to be kind and understanding and, and include that kid? Yeah, I think that I would say in order to be a good ally, I think you let the, your friend, your LGBTQ friend kind of take the lead and tell you what their pronouns are or how they identify. And then you just be supportive and be a friend to them, just like you would any other kid. I think that's what most of these kiddos are looking for is just a friend group that they can fit in with and have a normal school experience without the bullying and the threats and things like that. So I, as an ally, I think if you could just be there for your friend and let them kind of show you how to support them, I think that would be very helpful to that's them. That's great advice. I'm sure there's some kids who want to be part of the political conversation as far as pride and, mm -hmm. and you know, showing their pride in their LGBTQ um, selection. But there's probably some that they are LGBTQ, but they don't really want to make a big thing about it. Mm -hmm. That's true, for sure. And I think that's where we kind of just let them take the lead and let them decide how much or how little they want to talk about it or be a part of it. Because it is difficult enough to be certainly a teenage kid in junior high and high school without worrying about getting unwanted attention if that's what you don't want. So, You know, I think that sometimes well-meaning people say something that isn't very thoughtful because they truly have not thought it through and have not been educated. I saw some post, June was Pride Month. Mm -hmm. I saw some post on Facebook that I just 
I used all my self-control. Fighting on Facebook, I find not to be helpful. So I did use self-control to not say anything. But they were saying something like, well, I'm prideful about blah, blah, blah. Kind of disregarding the point of and the need for pride. And I wanted to say, well, you're not a persecuted, hated group. Right. So you don't need to stand up for pride. They're having to stand up because they're being beaten up in a parking lot and right. left for dead. Mm -hmm. So thank you, but <laughs> maybe you should understand that. Right. So there is a reason that the this community needs support from people that aren't in it. That's right. That's any oppressed community needs the allyship of the unoppressed because that's the only way that they can make progress and be heard, unfortunately, because once they're oppressed, they, they're almost erased in a lot of ways. And mm -hmm. so, yes, exactly right. So as anybody who's not part of this community, it's just our job to be an ally, just like with any oppressed community. And not everybody understands every other group and you don't have to fully understand it to just love another human being. That's right. And, and and I think that's what I tell parents of, especially trans kiddos, but any LGBTQ youth, it's like, it's not our job to necessarily understand what that feels like or what that means or how that it affects you. It's really your job just to support your kid and let them talk about it. And I would caution every parent to not say, are you sure? <laughs> because we don't say that to our straight kids, you know, like, are you sure you like girls, my son? And so I just would, you know, talk to parents about like, can, how can you be supportive without questioning your kiddo and what they're going through, you know? And there's great mental health support out there to coach parents on, hey, this, this would be a challenge. If you, mm -hmm. if you aren't part of that community to have a child that is, just like if you had a child that had diabetes, right? right? You need to learn enough about it to not say the wrong thing. I mean, right. as parents, we've all said the wrong thing before. And we're going to go right? keep doing it, yeah, <laughs> every day. <laughs> but hopefully we're trying to get enough education mm -hmm. to, to do better in that realm. Right, exactly. And if nobody else supports them, at least their family should. That's right. And, and that's the other thing is I would not tell your kid, well, this is a hard road and that you're choosing. It, it is a hard road. It's not a choice for, for most of these kiddos. And I think your because answer... Because who would choose right, it? <laughs> exactly. But I think your answer has to be, this is going to be hard and I have your back 100%. And, yeah. And studies show that if kids have the support at home, they do feel like nothing outside in the world is as harmful to them as it could be if they don't have that support at home. So that's where, that's that first layer of protection that we can offer. You know, I think fear causes a lot of people to be critical, um, to be a bully, to, I think fear is where a lot of that is coming from. Um, it's not contagious. You don't need to be fearful. Right. <laughs> Just right. do your own, you do you mm -hmm. and, and be kind to others. Exactly. That's right. How does your practice, um, in family law, uh, one of the groups that we serve is the LGBTQ community. What, how does their, how do we serve them or why do they need service in the family law realm? Yeah. Um, so with family law, it, there are several issues that come up and some of it, we've been doing same sex marriages, divorces, adoptions for years, you know, and that's kind of, uh, old hat at that. But now we're coming across situations where parents might be in a custody battle, uh, over, a kiddo who identifies as trans or anything LGBTQ at all. And what does that mean for your, the parents? What is the court looking at for that? And so because of 
our firm's experience and then honestly my personal experience with it, I can help navigate that and really make sure that we're focusing the judge on what is in the best interest of the child and what kind of experts do we need and things like that so that we can make sure that the parent who is supportive is the parent who gets to make decisions like education decisions, medical decisions, and things like that. And so that really is what we focus on. I could see a reason that people get divorced, one of the reasons being that they have a very different opinion on how to navigate their LGBTQ child. Absolutely. And to your point, you know, we would want, you would want to be an advocate for the parent that is supporting the child. Yes. Now absolutely. let's say that we were, that somebody came and they wanted to hire us and they weren't the supportive parent. I mean, I think we'd have to have an upfront conversation, right? About, hey, we can help you, but maybe that's through education. That's what, I, I think that's what, and I think we do that as family law attorneys in a lot of ways. Like we see a parent who's hurt and angry and maybe trying to use the kids as pawns and things like that. And I think our firm has always been like, let's educate you to make mm -hmm. sure your children are okay because we're not going to you let you use your kids as pawns or things like that to hurt mm -hmm. the other parent. So it's absolutely education, I think. And we can certainly talk about limits on medical rights or education mm -hmm. rights, but you know, that, or conference conferencing with you about education rights but at the end of the day I think for me personally I could never take the side of let's not be supportive of this kid right right so that wouldn't you know it's never a good match if we're fighting with the client the whole time right right if we're like no and what I love about our job is we can use the judge as the reason they should improve. Yes. And we could all use improvement. I mean, I'm not the perfect parent, don't get me wrong. But we can say, hey, the judge won't like it if you do X, Y, Z. Right. If you drive drunk with your child, right. <laughs> the judge won't like it. <laughs> so don't Correct. do that anymore. <laughs> and so it could be the same thing. If you're kind of the parent bullying the child mm -hmm. in this arena, hey, the judge won't like that. So there are ways we can educate our client and direct their behavior so that they get the best result they could get. And and that's genuine, right? Right. But if they f were fighting that the whole time, they're like, I don't care, I'm gonna do it anyway. You know, I'm gonna drive drunk with my child or I'm <laughs> it's we're not gonna have as good of a result. Right, and I think also there's something to that. I think it's, you know, fake it till you make it, where I think even if we're telling a parent who philosophically as opposed to this advice that we're giving them and we're saying this is how you win your case it's almost like it really doesn't matter for that child if the parent is being supportive no matter what that motivation is that benefits the child and then hopefully what I hope is that the parent sees that relationship improve and then realizes okay this is I need to continue with the support even though I may have been doing it for the wrong reasons there's plenty of people in history that have chosen to support their child's path, not just LB, LGBTQ, but career choice, mm -hmm. many other things, maybe their choice of spouse that maybe they don't really like it, but they realize they need to be supportive if they want to have relationship with that child. That's right. Exactly. So I want to be in good relationship with my children. Right. Me too. <laughs> and so, I mean, I've told my kids, like, there's very little that you can do that's going to make me upset. But like, if you start, um, you know, voting against like 
you know, civil rights or something, I'm going to have some conversations with you. But other than that, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a lawyer. Right. <laughs> so. Everybody else is like, what? Betting against civil rights. <laughs> Who would do that? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, it didn't used to be legal in Texas to marry somebody of the same sex. So during my career, that has changed. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, if they could get married here, they could get divorced here. Right. Before that, there was a time where they could go to New York and get married, and then they would move here and they couldn't even get divorced. Right. It's very strange. Mm -hmm. So I was so relieved when we could actually divorce people. Right. <laughs> that didn't want to be <laughs> Who married didn't want anymore. to be married anymore, um, regardless of where they got married. Um, and just like any population, they get divorced and mm -hmm. some of them don't and some of them do just like straight people. Right. 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 So, and, and that's the other thing is just remembering that the family code really applies to any parent and, and regardless of what your philosophical or political beliefs are. And so we have to maybe make sure that we navigate those rights and duties and still try to, you know, keep you supportive of your child, keep you parenting the way you want to parent, and then maybe educate you if, if there are some confusion about how to support your child. So Yes, that's good. Mm -hmm. So what else would you like our audience to know about how we navigate this population, how we can help them? Yeah. Um, I, you know, Texas, we're definitely facing a crisis right now for LGBTQ youth, uh, especially. And I would want to, I do want to quote some statistics. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, so prior to this legislative session that um, came out with several anti-LGBTQ laws, the suicide, the attempted suicide rate for trans children was 37%. It is now 52%. Oh, gosh. And for uh, just LGBTQ youth, it was um, 35% and now is 42% for any LGBTQ youth. So that is not suicide rate. That is attempted or pseudo-suicidal ideation, but it is still terrifying. Yes. Um, and so one of, like I said, one of the biggest indicators for how to keep a, a LGBTQ youth healthy is having the parental support. I mean, that is just number one in, in making sure that we keep these kids safe and that they want to live, you know. What is a resource if somebody was listening and they wanted to get some more education so they could do better by their youth? Yeah. What's a good resource? So the Resource Center here in Dallas does um, parent support groups. It does uh, LGBTQ youth support groups, and it's on Cedar Springs here in Dallas. It's completely free. And it's called The Resource Center. Yes, it is. Yeah, <laughs> resourcecenter.com, and go look at or I think it's .org, and you go look that up. Um, there are a few other places, for example, in um, – Tarrant County, there's Jonathan's Place, which is for LGBTQ youth, and I believe they have parental support as well. Um, Rainbow Roundup is another group here in Dallas that I think they actually cover Denton and Tarrant County as well. Tons of support for parents. Um, and so, and those websites that I'm mentioning also have like books and other websites for you to look at as parents and really kind of hone in on what you need to be learning or what you want to be educated on. So let's shift back to adults. So um, gay people, lesbians who've married, because they could not marry for a long time, we have a period of time that normally if people decided they were married and lived together as a married couple and held themselves out as married, they would be considered common law married, mm -hmm. straight people. 
Now we don't know if that applies to people who couldn't legally marry, like before that law changed. So we have some kind of unique situations with those people when they divorce, true? That's true. And so, yeah, we're looking at, well, what is the date of marriage? Was it, you know, and so that's, it's definitely tricky. But um, I think there is some precedence for treating same-sex marriages similar to a common law straight marriage. Um, So what I would do is encourage you to talk to an attorney, a family law attorney, and have them do a little bit of research on that. And I do Mm -hmm. think it's a, sometimes it's a uh, judge by judge basis. (laughs) Right. I mean, we're in Dallas County. We have seven district judges Mm -hmm. that do family law only and seven associate judges that work for them. And then Collin County has some dedicated family, some general jurisdiction, Denton County, Fort Worth, so on and so on. So it's a big number of judges that we all appear in front of regularly, mm-hmm. the people, the lawyers who practice in this area. And they're just human beings. Right. So they come with their own backgrounds, their own prejudices, their own beliefs. And some of them are going to treat, you know, Based on that background and belief system, they might treat a situation differently than the judge next door. That's right. You have to be prepared for that. And I think I think about what you say all the time, which is don't litigate. <laughs> Settle. <laughs> because you just never know what a judge is going to decide. And, and so it is also when you're fighting about children, if you can craft your own parenting plan and mediation, it is just so much better for you and the kids than trying to duke it out with a your co-parent and then getting what the judge orders, which has to follow the family code for the most part. Yeah, especially in areas where the law is a little question mark, like Mm -hmm. we just talked about with, did they have a common law marriage? In an area that's very sensitive, Mm -hmm. which certainly the LGBTQ community, you know, their issues are, can be sensitive. Mm -hmm. That's really a great, um, thing to consider would be collaborative law or mediation, Mm -hmm. both which are ways to resolve things outside of court. It's private. Mm -hmm. And maybe we could be more creative in those settings to come up with solutions. And everybody knows, well, we don't know 100% what a judge would do. Right. So that, that leaves actually it more open to people being more open to settlement because they're not thinking, well, I'm just going to go to court and the judge is going to give me X. Yeah. Because the lawyers can't really tell them 100% what a mm-hmm. judge is going to do. And like you said, you almost have to know everything about each judge, and the judges change over time. Right. So we'll kind of get to know something, and then the next election cycle right. comes. We're like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. We don't know what this judge is going to do. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I am, as you know, a big advocate of collaborative law and mediation, and every time I uh, – either have my own litigation situation that's crazy or I hear another one, I think, oh, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> collaborative <laughs> law, collaborative law. Yes. Um, and collaborative law, the way it's typically done is with a neutral mental health professional. Mm-hmm. And they're not there as a therapist, but they are certainly there um, as a guide and a facilitator. And sometimes we use a child specialist and I could really see with LGBTQ youth Mm -hmm. how great a child specialist could be because their role is to talk to the kiddos Mm -hmm. and give the parents feedback. Right. About, and I think that that could be really powerful. For sure. And I think because all of our kids, you know, 
come with their own concerns about how they talk to their parents and what that means, and especially if they feel like they're in the middle. And when they're able to talk to someone who's neutral, who's not either parent, and who mm-hmm. only cares about the child, that really opens a lot of doors for the kiddo, mm-hmm. and they feel more comfortable just talking about how they really feel about something. So Yes. Now, some people say, you know, we didn't used to have all this. We didn't used to have gender confusion or gender identification and why do we suddenly have it all now is it something we're drinking (laughs) (laughs) so that i would say that's a myth that there's always been um throughout time there's been people who identify with the gender that they're not born with um in fact the native american culture calls it Mm two-spirit and so and that's just one example and i will use what my a quote from my own kiddo who sat on a panel talking about being a trans child and he's 13 and he said you know everybody acts like it's not natural but tons of animals can give birth and change their sex and and also have same-sex attractions and same-sex relationships and everybody considers that to be completely natural and that's biological for them but when you talk about a, a person doing it that's when people start uh coming unglued <laughs> so that's true um but no gender identity and stepping outside of gender conformity has been around for centuries and only in the 1950s did we really start um focusing very heavily on male and female and what that looks like and what is a male role and what is a female role and that was all kind of in reaction to world war ii and the men coming back from war where women were in jobs that men had previously held and now we've got to really define these gender roles and so that is certainly more recent than the gender identity issues that have come up so yeah just people weren't talking about it right right Right. (laughs) exactly that's right and there weren't maybe forums to talk about it and we didn't have the internet, you know, I mean, we now can get a lot more information out Mm -hmm. and think how great for a kid across the world to realize he or she is not alone. Right. I mean, that's just so much of the battle. It's like, am I, what's wrong with me? Right. As opposed to, Oh, other people feel this and it's totally normal and they live happy lives. Great. That's a, and that's why it's so important for kids to see themselves expressed in literature and movies and things like that, which is why book bans are really scary, um, because these kids need to see themselves represented, um, just like any other oppressed community. It's critical for kids to see themselves as like Kamala Harris, you know, a first female African American vice president. That's an amazing thing for little girls of color to see. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It is so great having you here today talking about this, Marianne. I really am proud of the work you're doing and helping the world. You're a great lawyer and you're really an asset. Thank you for sharing this conversation today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We will have on the screen how to find Marianne at Duffy and Eitzen. We're super proud to have her there. And please reach out to her for any of your education or family law needs. And now... The tip of the day. If you're going through a family law matter, you probably need some mental health. And really any major life change, which divorce is one of the top three major life changes, we need a little assistance. And you don't have to feel like you're crazy if you go to see a counselor. If you don't like the idea of calling them a counselor, a psychiatrist, or a psychologist, you could call them a coach. But There are people out there that can help us through those life changes, and sometimes medication is appropriate. 
medication doesn't have to be forever, but there are times when we just need a little bit of assistance. If you have something challenging or different going on, whether it's a move, uh, somebody dies, those are all times when we need a little mental health. And these people who you go to to get help from, they went to school for this. I mean, they've seen a lot of people and helped a lot of people. So in a very short time, they could give you some really good tips. But in my practice, being a divorce lawyer, I think all of my clients should be seeking mental health help. And I think they should make it available to their children. You know, to be a good parent, we should be providing tools to our kids. And that's just another tool is for them to know that mental health help is available. Maybe we have them go meet with a counselor a couple of times. And if that's all they need right then, fine. But then they know it's available in the future. So do yourself a favor and your kids. Be a good tool provider and think about getting a mental health provider in your life. And that is the tip of the day.